Thank you so much. That was excellent. You guys, awesome job as well. Very good musician. Like to see the array of talent on this stage as I was sitting there. And uh, I don't know if you saw a little Jacob Newmeyer over there, this side over here. He was for real playing that guitar. See, sometimes people say, you know, I really enjoy your playing on that guitar. But see, that's not me. I have a recording up there and I fake it. He was really playing it up there. So good job, Jacob. That's good. Very, very, very good. Well, Merry Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Amen? Amen. I got to tell you, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm excited about, uh, man, just this time of year. I love this time of year. I love um, seeing what it does to people. I love seeing how... You know, all in my neighborhood, people are, you know, they're throwing up their Christmas lights. And you know, the first person in the neighborhood kind of sets the stage. And everybody else is kind of like, well, I guess we better. I can't live next to the Griswolds and not put something up. So I finally uh, got out my Christmas lights yesterday. And we had about, I don't know, 10 strands of lights that we had in storage. And so what do you do? The first thing you do is you, you pull them out and you got to go through that knot, right? So uh, I undid the knot, and uh, after about four hours of unknotting, uh, you plug them in. Every single strand that I had only worked halfway. Great. And so I had these plans of putting some up on the house, but it, it, did, it just didn't work. So I finally arrayed my, my lights and got, them to, got a couple of strands to work, and I just threw something up on the, on the porch, and it, it's kind of a mess. But that's, that's, that's the way we, we do it at the Wallace household. So if you come by my house... Anytime you come by my house, inside or outside, it might be a mess. I come home sometimes and I'm like, why is that in the yard? That's not even ours. <laughs> Nobody knows whose that is. And there's 14 other kids at my house. But that's okay. I guess when you live at a, at a circus, the animals come from all over. Well, look, let's, uh, let's get into our study of God's Word today. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you could pull that out and turn it to the book of Colossians. We are back in Colossians. Love this book. So instructive, so helpful, so admonishing, so, uh, you know, there's parts in this, in this book that just kind of put you in a corner, and you got to deal with stuff sometimes. That's good. That's what God's Word does to us sometimes. We have a lot to deal with today. I mean, it's a lot. This passage, there's so much going on in this passage. But it really, if, if you're in Colossians chapter 3. Today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. Now this passage that we're looking at today, it fits in with the rest of the chapter. If you, if you can look at chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, uh, Paul is describing that, that we, have, we have died to our, like we're dead. I mean, our former self is gone. And in Christ, the Bible says we've been raised with Christ. It says set your minds, therefore, if you're raised with Christ, if you're dead to your former ways and you're raised with Christ, then why focus on the troubles of this world? He says set your mind on the things above. And that's good instruction. And then he goes in verse 5 through 11. It says if you've been raised with Christ, if you set your minds on things above, what you need to focus on after you realize that, there's some things you have to slay. Put to death, and he goes through these, these lists, these things of earthly things, earthly stuff that we need to kill, that we need to be uh, pushing out of, our, out of our lives. And when we push that 
old self off, he mentions this put on the new self, as you see in your Bible, verse 10. Put on the new self. So when we start right away in this passage, Paul's kind of letting us take a snapshot picture of baptism as well. Let's say that's what happens in, during baptism. And one of my favorite thing, things about doing the baptism videos is I talk to the people when we're, it's just me and them in the room and we're sitting in front of the camera and a lot of times I get to, I get to do these videos and, and when we start talking about baptism, it's just kind of a picture of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through all, all the way to 17 of this is who you were. Jesus saved you. That person who you were is dead and buried. And praise God, when we get baptized around here, we don't just hold you underwater. You're resurrected. And so Paul gives us this picture of of salvation and kind of, we have to understand baptism the right way. And in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Romans, it'll come up on the screen. It says, we were buried, therefore with him in baptism, into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. That's where Paul picks up this new life. This put on the new life. It's this idea of like getting dressed. It's like you you take the old garments and you throw them away and you you put the the new self on. So when you're... uh, you hunters, when, you're, when you get your camo and, you, and you, when you do that well, like, whoa, I didn't even see you there. You know? Like you've seen the, um, the pictures, right, of can you find the hunter or the, the army man in this picture? Like, no, we can't. We can't find him because he's unrecognizable because his covering can't even tell he's there. You, know, you almost think sometimes like, of a, like a, a mascot or when you go to a theme park and somebody's walking around and they got the suit on. I had a really strange experience with that one time. I went to the mall, and I can't remember why I went. If I go to the mall or shopping for anything, it's very specific. Like, I'm going there for a reason. I'm just not going to be like, I'm going to go there and see what I can find. No. And, and, and I did it during Easter time. And it was, must have been during the day because I don't re- remember much. Because, but I do remember there wasn't a whole lot of people there. But as I was walking through the hall... I see the Easter bunny standing there, and he kind of surprised me. And as he was standing there, he was, like, waving at me, big wave. And, like, instantly I thought, like, I'm, like I got afraid a little bit. I'm, like, looking, like, making sure the Easter bunny is not holding a blade or something, you know. And I look around, and nobody else is there but me and the Easter bunny. And I, I'm, like, this is weird. And he's, like, waving at me. Then he's, like, I don't know about this, you know. And. I'm heading that way, so I'm like, man, I, can, I think I can take a guy in a bunny suit, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going this way, right? And so I, as I get closer, he's like, hey, Rod, it's me. And he, and he says his name, okay? He says his name. And then he's like, I'm the Easter Bunny. I'm like, I see that. See, I didn't know who was in the suit. I just thought it was the bunny, See, when we put on the new self that God calls us to put on, it's like the person that used to be there, man, you can't even see that person anymore. It's like they're not even recognizable. I did give him some, uh, a, a tip on that. I said, hey, um, don't tell anybody else. If you see somebody else you know, don't tell them it's you. You know, if, you know I, I got to commend him for, you know, for working and having a good job. But, you know, if I see, like, anybody 
that I know dear, that I have any relationship with and, and I'm in the, in the bunny suit, you will walk right past me. You will not know it's me. You know, if I'm, if I'm working as Easter Bunny, I'm not going to be like, hey, it's actually Rod. Because you're going to be like, you're in a bunny suit. So there's almost this unrecognizable quality that we have to realize when we put on this new self. This passage just, die, just throws us in. The very beginning of this passage in verse 12, it says, put on then. That's why we kind of had to back up and say, what are, what are we talking about here? It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now let's just take a minute and look at this passage and realize that there is a lot of stuff here. Like I was looking at this, I was, looking, I was thinking about just the, the topics that you can just kind of put a small underline, like, there's about, I think there's a, probably about 19 different topics right here. Now, if you were to look at these topics, you could say, you know, I could preach, I could preach a sermon on, I think I could preach 19 sermons, 19 to 20 sermons in this passage right here. Totally different. I mean, you're talking about compassion. You could pre- Tony, could you preach a, preach a sermon on compassion? What about humility? Forgiving each other. I mean, all these things, there's so much here. But I do think that we need to take all of this together this morning and deal with it the best we can. I think God needs to help us with that too. So let's pray. Let's ask him to help us. God, we, we understand, Lord, that, that we are called, God, as uh, people of faith to set aside the old self and to put on the new self. Thank you for your word and how instructive it is teaching us, God, what that means to put on the new self. I pray that you would use this time, this message, use your word, and may we be more in love with you through what you had to say to us. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So let's look at this passage today, and I believe that there, there's three components that we need to look at today, three components of this new self. Because when you... When you hear this, this idea that, okay, so when you become a Christian, the old self is gone. Well, who, who is that guy? Like, what all does that mean that he's gone? And then it says, put on the new self. So what does that mean? What does that, what does that, I mean, how do we put our minds around that? So let's talk about the three components of this new self. First of all, our identity in Christ. If you want to. Get a pen and paper out, you can. Um, you might be writing a lot. Our identity in Christ. We're just going to look, when we, when we talk about our identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus, 
who we've been declared as by God. That really starts our understanding of this new self. Okay, so who are we as this new self? Well, God is so gracious to us, and he kind of just, kind of, we just kind of, if you read it quick, you just miss giant words in this passage. Verse 12, it's just, just three things that we can talk about when we start talking about our identity in Christ. Verse 12, just the first part of verse 12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So let's take a minute to look at this identity that we have in Christ. Let's begin with this, this, this thought of we're chosen in God. We find if you have a, just an elementary reading of Scripture, the Old Testament, you see that God picked people for himself. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, we see that part of the heart of God choosing a people for himself. Part of the, uh, maybe a little bit of an explanation of, of why. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, this is about God's chosen people. This is about his people that he picked for himself, Israel. He says, for you are a people holy to God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people's who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord, but he set, you, he set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he has swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this chosen people talk, praise God that that doesn't stop in the Old Testament. There's a lot of, I, I chose you, you're my chosen people. And you know what? It's just so good to know that God chose us. This is not just Old Testament talk, but it's New Testament talk as well. And it's scattered throughout the, the New Testament. We find in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 9, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in, his, in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So Old Testament talk has a lot about, I, I picked this people, and, and you're in here today, if you're a believer today, it's because you're part of God's chosen people. The nation of Israel, God says, I'm going to pick you, and, then, and, and as Gentiles, you know, we're not true Israelites, like we're Gentiles, we're grafted in. He adopted us. He made us his own. And we too can say that we are loved by God, that we are set apart by God, that we are treasured by God, that he, he called us to himself. He wanted us. You're, if you're a Christian today, the holy God of the universe in which you offended with your sin, he says, you know what? I want you. Your sin has, has, has put you as an enemy with me, but you know what? I'm going to bring you into my house. I'm going to adopt you as my son and daughter. 
we're grafted in. This idea of our identity in Christ, like, we have to understand that it, it's, it begins with being chosen by God. And it shouldn't cause you to be concerned about some of those, that terminology of being chosen. Like, it should cause your heart to swell up and just say, thank you, God, that you chose me. The next thing that you see in these, this small portion of this verse, so we're chosen by God, but he says, holy, holy. Even in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. A lot of the times when we start dealing with this idea of holiness, we rush off to morality. We rush off to our, you know, our obedience and what we can do to be holy. Well, if you know and you study the Old Testament, you see that the nation of Israel, man, they, they dropped the ball a lot. They messed up a lot. And so God doesn't say, you're holy because you behave. He says, you're holy because I set you apart to be holy. You're different. You're set apart. I brought you to myself. I chose you. And then I set you apart. You have to understand that our status of being holy is more about who we belong to and less about how we behave. Because you will work yourself to death. And you'll be some legalistic Pharisee if you're trying to work your way to holiness. It's about who you belong to. And when you belong to God, he chose you and he set you apart as holy. When you start to see that our identity in Christ is less to do with us and more to do with the gracious, loving God. It's almost like that our lives don't even belong to us anymore. Well, maybe they don't. Our identity in Christ is, has a lot to do with that. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, Hey, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul just begins to just, he still just is unpacking our identity in Christ that, that we're chosen by God, that we are holy, set apart, we're unique. If you're a Christian today, you're unique. God set you apart. He made you that way. Your life is really not yours anymore. It's better for you to get that than for you to try to strive your way into doing what you think God wants you to do. Our new self, putting on the new self, it has to begin with the understanding of our identity, who we really are in Christ. Our status of holy depends on the perfect work of Jesus. He made us holy. Next word that you see in this little section that we, that, that we need to deal with our identity is, it says beloved. We're loved. That is so good. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you've, if you've come to the place in your life where you realize you were a sinner and you needed to receive Christ by faith and he opened the door of faith in your heart and you came to him and you said, I need, I need you, Lord. And he, he saved you and, and he set you apart and he says to you, I love you. Listen, God loves you. 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 Look, I don't care what you think when you look at yourself in the mirror. I don't care what you think when you're laying in bed staring at the ceiling. You wish sometimes it would just cave in on you and you could just be done with it. 
If you're a believer, God loves you. God loves you. Amen. Our identity, who we are in Christ. He says, I, I want you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick you in your mind and I'm going to set you apart. And this is my people. I love them. That's the beginning stages of the new self. See, here's what happens when we start talking about this idea of put on the new self. We start, all right, let me get, let me get this figured out. I got to do all this to, man, if, if, if at the end of the day I didn't do everything right, and boy, I blew it. But it has to begin with who you are in Christ. Chosen, set apart, holy, loved. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is Jesus hollering to the tomb of Lazarus and saying, come out. But sir, he's been there for four days. Look, I think that a lot of us, if we were there in that situation... I think a lot of us just run off. <laughs> We'd, that would terrify some people. I mean, you got to think. Okay, so a handful of people, and Jesus goes to this tomb. Somebody's been dead for four days. He's like, M open it up, and he starts hollering. You know, he says, come on out of there. And, and Like, there's people that are like, man, I'm out of here. But he called you, and, and Tony talked about that. Last week, just calling you out of the tomb, he loves you. The new self begins with our identity in Christ. Now, you got to understand something. That's solid right there. Like, that's unshakable. That's not dependent on you. That's dependent on God. That's rock solid. Let's, let's illustrate this with a, you know what that is? That's a bookend, right? That's solid. Hear it? It's not hollow. Let's let this represent our solid, rock-solid identity in Christ. Okay? Now what we have is when we go keep digging further in this passage, we come to this, um, when our, this new self, this, this quality of, of the new self, this, our quality in Christ. And that really has to do with our character. Your character. Put on the new self. There's, a, there's characteristics of, of somebody in Christ. There's ways that they do things and react to things. If you're new in Christ, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then when we, when we get back into our passage, we find this list. It's, it's just, Paul just lists things. Uh, when I was in a preaching class at seminary, uh, one, of the, one of the guys in the class, so what you do in seminary is in preaching classes, you prepare a sermon, they tell you what to do, they tell you how to prepare it, um, you preach the sermon, and then everybody in the class goes around and says what they liked and what they didn't like about it, and what, what they thought was good, bad, stupid, or whatever like that. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, just... I want to go across the street to the car wash with the, with the uh, reformed drug addicts. I want to sit there with them and you know, let me go talk to them. So anyway, one of the guys, I, I, don't, I don't remember what I was 
who was preaching, if it was me or I don't know, but he said, I don't like lists. You know, I don't like when a sermon is just like lists. How do you say lists? You know, he says, if, if it's a list, you know, I just don't, I don't think people connect with a list. Well, I'm sorry, there's a lot of lists in the Bible. Amen. You know, you start, there's lists in the Bible that you don't even know how to say some of the words in. Long list of names, and you're like, okay, yeah, that guy had a son, his name was, let, let's come up with a nickname for that, because I don't know how to say that. And so there's all kinds of lists in the Bible. So what Paul does is he says, all right, here, let me just explain what your identity in Christ is. First of all, your, your identity in Christ is solid. This new self in Christ, it also has, has to do with part of your character. Now let's look at some of these. What is the first thing he mentions? Compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. So the new self, put on the new self. Part of that character quality of the new self is compassionate hearts. You know somebody that's a person of compassion? Boy, they're just compassionate. I, you know, it's one of those things where like, what does that even mean? You know, I mean, how, do, how am I supposed to be compassionate? How was Jesus compassionate, you know? Matthew chapter 9 Verse 36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion for these people who were helpless, harassed. A compassionate heart sees hurt and suffering and it troubles them. You're just like, oh, what, what do I do? Suffering, injured, sickness, helpless, etc. A compassionate heart brings you past feeling sorry for someone in distress and gets you to the point to you're, you're ready to do something about it. It was out of compassion that you helped somebody who was in need. It was out of compassion that you gave so they could. It was out of compassion that the good shepherd saw you recklessly, wildly, living in idolatry and sin. And out of compassion... He made you his own. Jesus is our greatest example of compassion. So when we think about putting on the new self, the, the character quality of compassion, compassionate hearts, is, is absolutely part of this new self, this outfit, so to speak, of the new self. Let's keep going. Next one, kindness. One of the things that you do sometimes when you read lists Especially in scripture like this, you're like, well, why not just use another word to combine that and, like, but you know, God's very strategic. You ever, uh, you ever had someone say, that was very kind of you? It, it, it kind of set you back what they did, and, and it's not that they were, that somebody was, you know, bent out of shape, compassionate about somebody's suffering, they, you know, maybe they just, maybe they're fine. But somebody showed great kindness. 
See, kindness comes from a heart that, a, a good heart that exercises itself in generosity. Somebody that's just not, you know, at the end of themselves and they're about to just, you know, have a terrible tragedy in their life. But no, you just, it, just kindness is shown. Show, we show kindness to one another. Brotherly kindness is another way that Scripture describes and speaks of kindness. It comes from a, a place in our heart to where, you know, we're, we're just going to do for people. We're going to like people and we're going to, you know, come, you know, we're going to take part of ourself. We're going to be generous with a part of ourself, whether it's our time, whether it's our resources, whether it's our whatever. And just in the goodness of our heart, we pour generosity out. That's being kind. We should be very glad that God is kind. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You ever thought about that? You ever said, God, I'm so glad you're kind? See, our culture kind of uses that word kindness, and kind is kind of, you know, we think, oh, that's kind of a, that's not a real powerful word. You know, that's, let's find a bigger and meatier word to say than kind. So what do you think about so-and-so? It's the greatest person on earth. They are, if I can describe them one way, kind. Well, I mean, you're talking about this phenomenal person and all you're saying is kind. But you know, let's redeem that word. Let's, let's, let's be people of kindness. Let's put on the new self because we, we've been called by God. We've been set apart. We're loved by God. We're, we're working things out in our lives, dealing with hurt and compassion, but not just hurt, with compassion, but just in general in kindness. You know, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, people ought to just say, man, that guy's just nice. That She is one of the nicest people I know. The lost people in your life ought to say that about you. Do you have lost people in your life? There's a good chance that if you don't have lost, unchurched people in your life, then maybe you need to back up and reconsider compassion. Because out of compassion for someone who is bound and destined for a Christless eternity, that ought to cause you to try to embrace them in some way. Compassionate hearts, kindness. You know, some of these are hard. They're soft words. Like kindness seems like a, a soft word, but let's ask. If, you're, if you call yourself a believer in here, let's ask those people closest to you. Would you say they are kind? So so-and-so who is your spouse or your coworker, your friend, they say they're a Christian. Would you say they're compassionate? Would you say that they are kind? And see, when we put on the new self, that's part of it, being kind. The next thing that Paul says, which really is a heavier word, is humility. Culturally, it's distinct to Christianity. Humility is a big, big word. Possibly the most prize Christian virtue. You get nowhere in the Christian faith without humility. You get nowhere. 
You lower yourself to where you just trust God that he'll take care of it and, and he'll let him lift you. As you live within the realm of humility. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do you know people that you can think of that you just say, man, that, that person's just humble. That's part of the new self, living in humility. It's not that you beat yourself up because you think you're not special at all. It's just you don't have to have this false sense of humility because you just you know, pound away at yourself. You just humbly walk with God. You're not trying to you know, self-promote. You're not trying to win your cause all the time. You're just loving God, loving people in humility. We need to just... Pour humility in every relationship, every endeavor, everything. And let God do the exalting. Let God do the promoting in your life. Jesus is the greatest example of humility. It's not going to come up on the screen, but make a note. Just read Philippians chapter 2. That, this, this, that Jesus, who is at the highest place, he humbled himself and he became obedient. Even to the point of death even to the point of death on a cross, but then God highly exalted him. He's got the name above names. Jesus walked in humility. Find a place of humility in your life. The next thing is meekness. That's a tough word, meekness. We don't really, we don't really handle this word well. One um, commentator said this might be the most untranslatable word in the New Testament. What does meekness mean? See, we say, well, meekness isn't weakness, you know, but we have a hard time defining what meekness is. The Bible says that Moses was meek, very meek. Here's, you know, and, I've, and I've kicked this around, and maybe you, you can help me later what you think meekness is. And, um, it, it's a word that's hard in our English language, but, but really it's, it's like um, strength under control. It's like you have the capability, you have the power, but there's this quiet strength. It's like you're not easily worked up. The best leaders in our world are meek. You know, they're, they, they live in meekness. I don't know if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, but in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the Jesus figure, and he's so just meek. He's got the sharpest claws and the strongest bite of anybody in that whole series, but he's just meek, and that's Jesus. The lion of Judah, he has the sharpest claws. He's got the strongest bite, but that lion comes and sits by you now in meekness. And sometimes he's a gentleman, and you take sin in your life, and you hold on to it, you harbor it, and you run with it, and it's like he... Let you go sometimes and like, you know, you'll, you sure you want to do that? You know, when I think of meekness, I think of the father figure in the parable of the prodigal son. That's a demonstration of meekness, of being meek. This father figure, who's, his son said, I'm leaving. I want 
all of my inheritance. Basically, you're dead to me, and I'm out of here. And the father didn't just smack him. Son, you're going to feel the backside of my hand if you keep talking like that. No, it's not what he said. And then the older brother's like, man, he did that. Can you, I, I feel, and, and the father's like, see, we, we need that in our character, and our quality. That's part of the new self. Jesus, the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness. It's not weakness. I think it's might, maybe in disguise. Let's keep going. Patience. Ooh. Everyone's favorite, patience. How do we define patience? What about maybe waiting without complaining? There are so many levels of patience that we have to deal with. It's part of the new self. You have to be patient when facing irritants, like traffic, right? Commercials. <laughs> I, our, the, the kids growing up in our society, they have a hard time, like, facing irritants because everything, like, you just find an app, and you're like, you're not bored. You know, I was thinking the other day, my dog was eating, and he hit that, you know, the thing on the floor, like, the door stop, and it's like, like, rattles the wall, and it, it scares you if you're not ready for it, and so he hits that, and I'm like, what was that? And then I thought, like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to lay by those things. We need an app for that, right? Let's put a doorstop. Let's, let's, let's make an app. Someone, someone who knows how to do that, make a doorstop app. And you just sit there when you're bored and you just on your tablet, on your phone. So when you're bored, you have to find patience. You ever heard someone say, I'm bored. No, everybody's like, I'm so bored. They're bored because they're, they need patience. You know, sit down and flick the doorstop thing. So patience is, we need that in dealing with irritants. You know, we don't, we're not going to talk about that one person or that, that guy or girl or whoever in your life that just absolutely drives you bananas. But you need patience with that person. You need patience facing boredom. You need patience when you face affliction, that's when we have a hard time with patience. When we're suffering, when we're suffering day after day after day after year, not only maybe when we're suffering, but when we're caring for someone who's suffering. And, and that's when people are like, are you praying for me to have patience or something? People say, don't pray for patience. You know, God's going to make you wait. And patience is tough, but it's part of the new self. It comes with the new self. Patience, what a big word. Do you struggle with patience? Another way that we need to exercise patience when we're trying to hear the voice of God and he's silent. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm waiting on God. That's a good place to be. But sometimes, it's, sometimes it has disobedience attached to it. And God's like, hey, don't throw me under the bus with this. You know what you're supposed to do. Walk in faith. Don't say you're praying and waiting on me. So many times in our lives, 
there's something right there. We're on the edge of it. And we're like, I'm just waiting, praying on God. And God's like, baloney. Take a step of faith, my child. Sometimes we do need to wait on God. Don't rush off and headlong into something. Crash and burn then, right? It's hard to, to figure out how to, how to deal with that. What about patience when the labor is intense and the harvest is bleak? Man, there are so many stories of Christian missionaries that have gone somewhere under sickness, persecution, violent, horrible things, and they spend year after year after year, and no one gives a rip about what they have to say. That's when we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Galatians chapter 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. Some of you are doing a good thing, and you're getting tired. Let me just kind of slather some more patience on you, please. Don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, the Bible says, we will reap if we do not give up. Patience. Listen to me, please, people. Don't give up. Don't give up. Patience. Patience. Next thing let's look at, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You like this list so far? Bearing with one another. Bear with you know, when someone's difficult, bear with them. Get some thick skin. Sometimes people need thicker skin. You know, maybe when your brother or your sister, they let you down, bear with them. When someone sins, bear them up. We just bear with one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And so, fulfill the law of Christ. That means to endure together. Bear one another. Bear with one another. You know, you think of like... When Paul is going through like the shipwreck in the book of Acts, and he's like, they're hanging in, they're bearing with one another, bearing each other up, patient with one another, just this idea of bear with one another. This kind of leads into the next thing, forgiveness. Do you struggle with forgiveness? Man, a large part of my testimony is just forgiveness with issues with my dad, and I, I preached on forgiveness a while back, and um, Forgiveness, man, that will absolutely screech your life to a halt. Emotionally, spiritually, whatever else. Just mentally, socially, relationally, with your family, with friends. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. So when he says, if someone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. God commands us to forgive. No matter what. It's no matter what has been done to you, forgive. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, forgive. What'd they do to you? Who you mad at right now? Let it go. Gotta forgive them. Gotta forgive them. There's power in forgiveness. The beginning stage of that power of forgiveness is the truth that God could forgive you, a miserable, wretched sinner such as yourself. And then you start understanding the lengths that he went to purchase your forgiveness. The crucifixion of his perfect son. So you could be forgiven of sin. God forgives you based on the purity of Jesus' work. You need to forgive. This list is tough, isn't it? We put on the new self. The next one is, man, this next one might be the heaviest one. Love. 
He says in verse 14, Colossians 3, he says, and above all these things, put on love. Zip, zip on love. Put that hat, put the big bunny hat, I don't know, but put on love. Like this is our new self. We're putting this on. It says put on love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away that I have and deliver up my body even to be burned and I have not love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Verse 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest is love. Love. That's the character of the person who's put on the new self. That's the list that we have to contend with. See, here's the thing. Our character is fragile. You know, we start talking about being loved by God. That's solid. But how well are you doing with humility? You know, how well are you doing with patience? Like, our part in this new self, when we're, set, when we're told to put on, you know, this list of things that we're, supposed to, that we're supposed to do, this compassion, like, that's hard. And kindness, how, how well do we do with kindness, right? This is our list that we have to deal with. What's next? Humility, right? Let's make this list here. Let's abbreviate some. Meekness, patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving, forgiveness, two S's, right? And love. Like, here's this list that Paul says, okay, here's this new self. I know it's terrible handwriting. I've always had bad handwriting. You can pick on me if you want to. And so we have this, okay, this new self that begins with our identity. But then he says, like, hey, this is your... This is your character, and so what we have is, it just doesn't, it's fragile. It can't stand on its own. It just, you, you just can't just go wake up tomorrow and say, today I'm going to be patient. You know, today, my goal today is humility. It just doesn't work like that. Like, we fail miserably at this, and we try our best to, to, to prop it up and it tips over every time, whether it's life or, or wind or anything that comes our way, knocks us over. And here we are and our character is flopping over. See, there's three components to the new self. There's our, our identity in Christ, chosen, holy, and love. Our quality in Christ, which is our character. But then the last thing is our security in Christ. Our security in Christ. 
This is so good. This also is solid. Your character, I love you, but I can't, we can't trust our character sometimes. It falls over. It tips over and breaks. So what we do when we, when we see this new self is we, we begin with this solid, solid identity in Christ. And then we have our quality in Christ, our character. So what we need is we need something else, right? There we go. All right. Your character's holding up. Your identity is in Christ. The last part of our new self is our security in Christ. I love this next passage. So many good things out here. It's like 25 sermons right here in 15 through 17. says, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness, with thankgiveness, thank, thankfulness in your heart to God. And, let, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The security, to, the identity that we have in the new self is based on a work of God, who God is. Our security in Christ is based on the peace of Christ. The word of Christ and the name of Christ. So here's what you do. You don't try to make, make this list and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail that today. No, what you do is just let these anchors sit in your heart of your identity and, and your security in Christ. We start talking about the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Who is the captain of your heart? Who is the master of your heart? A weary soul tossed about in a troubled sea right now? Who do you let rule your heart? That word rule actually kind of comes with, the, with this understanding of like what an umpire does. What does an umpire do? Call, basically calls the shots. Somebody asked an umpire one time, how do you know if it's a ball or strike? He says, it's nothing until I call it. That's, that's this idea, this peace of Christ. Letting that be the umpire in your heart. Letting it rule in your heart. Don't you need more peace? I mean, you, you spend all these hours watching what's going on in the world around you and seeing your family kind of, you know, ebb and flow and slip away or, or doing great or whatever. And there's this, there's this constant war on your heart to just relax a little bit and say, it's going to be okay. Let the peace of Christ, let the security, the security of the peace of Christ, let that be the captain at the helm of your heart. And you, you know, and you, you got some stuff going on, you see some stormy seas coming up and you want to be like, hey, move out of the way. Can I like steer this over here because it's something bad up there? And the peace of Christ just gets a grip on it and says, nope, we're going through the storm. You get behind me and just relax. That's solid right there. The peace of Christ, let that rule in your heart. What is a byproduct of the peace ruling in your heart? Thankfulness. Do you see that? Three times in this passage, it says be thankful, thankfulness. Man, you gotta be thankful. 
Sometimes we've got to fight for that. You've got to fight for being thankful. But when the peace of Christ is ruling your heart, oh, don't you just be like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my security in Christ, knowing that the peace of Christ is the captain of my heart. The word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. Think of somebody moving in with you. They show up with their bags. All right, I'm here. They plop down their bags. And you're like, okay, let's figure out how to make this work. And there's this awkward kind of beginning, like, we don't know where to put you kind of thing. And you're all, you're all, you know, I'm with my friends, and you're riding in the back seat, and your friend's like, who's that guy back there? It's the word of Christ. Because when the word of Christ dwells within you richly, it has to move in first. And there's kind of this awkward thing that happens when all of a sudden you're doing your thing and your life going down your road and your priorities and, and your everything. And all of a sudden the word of Christ intercepts with that and he moves in and drops his bag and says, I'm here. I'm going to move in. And so you receive that and you have to you understand how to relate to that. But then as you, as you grow in that, as it dwells richly in your heart, you start cherishing it. You start letting it, letting it lead you and guiding you, and you start holding fast to it. So instead of like, okay, here's now the word of Christ is like living in my heart now. He's kind of over here, and I don't really know what to do with it. Next thing you know, you're like, okay, let's pull you into the kitchen. Every day when our conversations are going on, the word of Christ is like, he's just right there. But then you can't just like hang on to the word of Christ. You have to share it. So when the word of Christ dwells within you deeply, that's when Paul says, you know, admonish one another, teach one another. That doesn't just mean that if you're really, really mature in the word of God, then you're going to be a teacher. Now, this, this is like some one-on-one talk here too. If, if you're spiritually mature in the word of Christ because it's moved into your heart and it's set roots and it's, and it's dwelling in you richly, deeply, you're going to be, in turn, you're going to like walk in this and with others around you and you're going to be able to, you know, encourage, teach them, admonish them. They might even come to you and say, hey, I got something going on. What do you think about this? Well, you know, the the Bible talks is similar about that's when the word of Christ dwells in, in you richly. You know what's so good about this idea of this word of Christ dwelling in you richly? You know what another byproduct of this is? Which is just kind of throws us for a loop. It's singing. So it's almost like we can sit here and say, the person who is deep, deep in Scripture, the word of Christ just dwells so richly and deeply in their heart. You can, t- you can find them when the, the church is singing. Did you know that the Bible says about 50 times, commands us to sing? Sing. When's the last time you felt conviction and said, Tony, when's ever somebody came down here and says, I'm feeling really, really convicted about not singing? I'm really just, i got to get my life together. I don't sing. People don't think like that. We don't talk like that. You know, there's actually a disorder, a defined disorder. 
I'm like trying to figure out, what, like there's certain people that just hate music altogether. And we've kind of like slid that off into the category of a disorder. There's so much emotion with music. Do you sing in the shower? Do you hum? Do you, you, know, you crank up your tune in your truck by yourself? And you're like, you know, there's, music does something to us. And I love how he uses three words. He uses singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, here's what people say a lot of times when they have to do with singing. Like, and believe me, we don't say, well, the most mature person in the room is the one singing the loudest. But when the word of Christ dwells within you richly, richly it just, you just sing. It's crazy to me to think that someone saved by the grace of God and it's dwelling in them richly, like, like moving other things out of the house richly. And causing your heart to burn with the truths of who God is. And that someone could come in this place. When we sing about who God is. The song is not in your heart. You know, when people say stuff like, well, I just prefer the old hymns. That's. New stuff just repeats the same line over and over. Now, actually, the old stuff started out repeating the same line over and over. Please read Psalm 136. Later. <laughs> About 26 times, you'll repeat the same line over and over and over. The Psalms are a book of songs. I think for some crazy reason, if we were to say, you know what, we're going to turn Psalm 136. Hey, you know what, I might do it tonight during worship, Tony. We're going to take Psalm 136, turn it into a song, and we're going to sing it just like it's written. About 26 times you're going to say the same line, you know. But here's the thing, like, but, but, but you know, when, when the younger people say, well, I just don't like the old stuff. You know what, you're both wrong. <laughs> we need to just rest and sit in front of some of these old hymns that just plow over our hearts with truths of who God is. We need those hymns. Churches need to sing hymns. We need to sing songs that repeat the same thing over and 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 over. We need to sing those. We need to. When a song says... For your steadfast love endures forever. That'd take a long time to sing that 26 times. Sing. Man, I'm thinking that if you don't sing, oh, well, it's not my thing. I don't like, or I don't like the music. Like, please don't make songs of worship about you. Well, my preference is, that's, man, that's scary to me. That is scary to me. When people say, well, I just don't like that. Whoa, hold on, time out. Let's just slow down a minute. When we're commanded to sing spiritual songs, hymns, psalms, we're commanded to sing. But I'm only going to sing what I like. That's really not how it goes. We sing because the word of Christ dwells within us richly. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ is the last p 
portion of our security. We have our identity, have our flimsy little character, have our security. The name of Christ. What a solid bookend that is. The Bible says do everything in the name of Christ. Everything. You know, this, going into this, I know, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. This is a lot to, do, to deal with. Today, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be humble today. You know, here's, here's, what, here's what you need to take away with. You don't need to take this big, long list, put it on your mirror, or put it on your steering wheel and say, all right, today's the day. We'll knock this list out of the, wall, out of the park. I'm going to put boxes and check marks. And The Bible says that all of it's held together with love. So what you can do with this complicated text, a bunch of words, a bunch of things, like you scratch around like, i got to put these in. Like just realize that these two solid bookends, they're really based on God's love for you. And you trying to figure out how best to put on the new self, just walk away from here and say, you know what? I'm not going to focus today on being humble, being patient, like, I'm just going to focus on love. I'm just going to focus on love. Just love. Just focus on love. Love God, love people, that's it. Put that on. A lot of talk this time of year about presence. And you know what? Here's the deal. Like, the world around us, the people in your home, your friends, your family, your coworkers, they need a better present. They need a better gift than the stuff that you can just go, they need someone who's wrapped up in the new self. And really, they just need someone who's wrapped up in love. That's what the broken world around us needs. That's what the person sitting next to you across the aisle from you, that's what, that's what they need. They need love. They need love. Put on love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And I like saying it like this, and do whatever else you want to do. Oh, you can't say that. Yeah. If all you do is focus, focus on love, just focus on love God. If you're loving God, who did this with all your heart, man, just be free. Just let the other thing, let God deal with that other stuff. Be a better gift. I think maybe many people in this room, you're, you've been beat up. You're beat up. You're just, you're ready to tap out, you're ready to give up, you're ready to quit. I think that's good. Maybe it's because you're, maybe you're beat up because you're doing that. You know, you're just, you're trying to focus so hard on being what, having this perfect Almost, you're trying so hard, but it just doesn't stand. And every day you're like, I'm terrible, I'm not, I can't do these things. You know, why don't you just lay your character down and just put the, your identity in Christ and your security in Christ and just let it just rule your heart. Let, let it just be that. That's what a great gift you would be to the world around you, to your kids, to your spouse. You know, maybe you're having a hard time today and you're feeling beat up because you still stink of death. 
you're still horizontal in the tomb. You're still dead in your sin. All of this, for you, it doesn't matter. You're dead in your sin. And that's when the, the voice of Christ at this moment whispers in your heart and says, come out of the tomb. Like, is that you today? How many times have you got to hear that before you say, yeah, I'm going to come out wrapped up in my grave clothes. I'm coming out of the tomb. If you're a Christian today, you know, and you're just feeling like the weight, the burden of just trying to live up and check boxes and measure up, just quit. Just love. Just love. Man, it's so freeing. 